You're listening to Doing Law Differently. Join me, Lucy Dickens, as I explore how the world's most progressive legal service providers are doing law differently. Hello, you're listening to the Doing Law Differently podcast with me, your host, Lucy Dickens. One of the many hats that I wear is as a coach and mentor, where I help other law firm owners to build the law firm that they need for the life that they want. I run a coaching program with this objective where I take on a handful of clients several times a year and I will, towards the end of the year, be publishing my book that is also all about this topic. Step one of that process is all about vision and I start by working with my clients to really think about what it is that they want their life to look like. One of the most exciting things about doing law differently is the opportunity to really start from scratch to have a blank slate and to completely rethink the way your business runs and most importantly to rethink the way it runs in relation to the way that you live your life or the way that you want to live your life and that is exactly what today's guest has done. I'm joined by Sarah Jefford who is a family and surrogacy lawyer who practices across Australia from her home in Melbourne. Sarah has really carved out a niche practice in an area that crosses over perfectly with her life's passion, and that is family creation law. Sarah's been an IVF mum, an egg donor, and a surrogate, so not only can she help her clients with the legal aspect of their family creation journey, but she also really understands what they're going through because she's been there herself. Sarah produces the Australian Surrogacy podcast, and she recently published her book, which is called More Than Just a Baby. Sarah tells us all about the book in the episode. And we also talk about how she built her business at this perfect intersection of her ikigai, her reason for being. And if you're not familiar with that concept, we talk about it a bit in the episode. And we talk also about how Sarah uses her business as her creative outlet that really means that she feels like she's never working even though she'll tell us that she actually works all the time. Now, as always, the links are in the show notes. If you want to support Sarah, buy a copy of her book or listen to her podcast, you can find her at sarahjefford.com. So here is Sarah Jefford on the Doing Law Differently podcast. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Lucy. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. I'm excited because you are a brand new author. Congratulations. I am. Thank you. I'm so excited. It does feel like I've had another baby. And I love <laughs> that analogy. Author just in the last weekend. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is called More Than Just a Baby and it's about babies. So yeah, it does feel like I've had a fourth child. The process of writing and editing and publishing is, yeah, it's probably longer than a longer gestation than a, um, a human a baby. human child, yes. Well, as you yeah. know, I'm going through that at the moment, so I can relate. And yes, it's been longer gestation than a human baby. Although having said that, both you and I had long pregnancies because you were over 41 weeks yes. as well, weren't you? So there we go. Yes. But tell <laughs> us about the book. So it's called More Than Just a Baby, and it's a guide to surrogacy for intended parents and surrogates. It's focused on Australian intended parents and surrogates, although I do talk about options overseas because lots of intended parents need to travel overseas if they're going to pursue surrogacy. So it started off as blogging. I was a surrogate myself and I gave birth in January 2018. And there was a point in the hospital shortly after she was born where I thought, you know, there really should be a guidebook to tell me that how I'm feeling is normal or how I should expect to be feeling. 
And I had a bit of a, you know, light bulb thinking, I think I'm going to have to write that book, but didn't actually have any confidence in my ability to write. I just thought, you know, what does that even look like? How do you become a writer? Um, So shortly after that, I actually just started blogging and really, I guess, that writing process is broken down into bite-sized pieces when you become a blogger. And the more I had an idea in the shower, I'd turned it into a blog. And within a year, I had heaps and heaps of blog posts. And eventually, on the advice of another lawyer, sent all of those blog posts off to an editor and said, I want to turn this into a book. So the whole process, well, the baby's now two and a half. So I guess it's been about two and a half years of just writing down those ideas and turning them in those thought bubbles into posts and now I've got an actual book out of it yeah so it's quite the process it is quite a process but well done and congratulations thank you I want to ask how does it tie into your law firm now according to Google you are Australia's best surrogacy lawyer um I am apparently (laughs) so uh, well Google's always right so I say I say I agree I think Google doesn't make mistakes like that so you're Australia's number one (laughs) surrogacy lawyer how does the book tie into your practice and I guess perhaps before you answer that I want to go back a bit because before you were Australia's number one surrogacy lawyer you practiced family law more generally so at what point did you niche your practice was it about the time when you were a surrogate did that come before or after how does that journey unfold it was a little bit of happening at the same time I guess um so I was admitted 15 years ago and I worked at legal aid and so my practice was all family law and family violence intervention orders in fact if I had a niche at that point it was family violence intervention orders that was my main practice. Then I had children. I was made redundant. I started a new job at the Aboriginal Legal Service and was more in management. And I actually think I'm a really good manager. I've got the skills for being a good manager, but I thought this isn't actually what I wanted to do. I don't want to spend my life being a manager. I want to be a lawyer. So I decided having small children at home that actually I could set up my own practice, do my own thing and be there for the kids. And I could just do family law. I thought I might sort of branch out and do wills as well but it was mostly family law. But around the same time, I had become an egg donor. And then shortly after that, started thinking about being a surrogate and noticed that there was a real lack of good surrogacy lawyers and a lack of like publicly available information. And I thought, well, it's a bit sad that we're all having to find the information and in some ways reinvent the wheels. Like there were so many surrogates and intended parents going through the process And then the next team that came through had to relearn the same process and there wasn't that much that was freely available and I thought, well, I think I could change that. So I started doing surrogacy law around the same time that I became a surrogate and that was 2016. It was a long process. But at some point my practice went from mostly family law and a little bit of surrogacy to about half and half and then in the last year or so it's become full-time surrogacy and also donor um, conception so donor agreements so I've kind of given up on the separation family law which has been really refreshing I still really I guess in some ways I like the separation family law because that's what I've known for so long But I also find that the surrogacy and donor conception stuff is so much more uplifting and positive and just dealing with nasty family law matters and often they're complex and even the nice ones can be really nasty that my stress levels are amazing. I love my work. I get messages from clients that say, we're going to have a baby. Can we talk to you? And think, well, what a nice way to yeah. start your legal work. I don't have to start with, I'm getting a divorce. Yeah, it's it really starts positive. with, let's have a baby. Yeah. And of course, because I'm part of the surrogacy community, having been a surrogate and a donor, 
I get to engage with them on a much more human level rather than just for the legal part. So I get to see the baby photos as well. I get to hear the birth stories. I get to speak to the surrogates. I spend a lot of time talking to people about what it feels like to be a surrogate, which has nothing to do with legal advice. They don't, I mean, that's part of what I have to do, but what they are really interested in is what can I expect being a surrogate or an intended parent and what was your experience? And I get to talk about that all day. It's amazing. I don't know if you've heard of this Japanese concept called Ikigai. Are you familiar with it? Mm. Yeah, okay. So there's a book. So if you're listening and you haven't heard, it's a concept, um, Japanese concept called Ikigai, and it's about your reason for being. And the, the book talks about finding the middle ground between what you love, what the world needs, what you're good at, and what you can be paid for. And it sounds like that is exactly what you have done with your business. That's what I've done. Yeah, that's right. In some ways, that's what I was aiming for. Of course, that's what I was aiming for. I remember thinking about Ikigai in the last couple of years, probably at the Happy Lawyer Club retreat and thinking, well, that seems like a sort of aspirational idea. And then without even realising it, I've got it. I'm right there. Um, And it doesn't mean there's not still challenges. I'm currently homeschooling two children in stage four lockdown. There's challenges to that. (laughs) I find I probably am more in ikigai when my kids are out of the house for six hours of the day and I can have some more time alone. But in terms of my practice, yeah, I'm exactly where I want to be. I have the right combination of being creative and having purpose, doing the legal work, which I really enjoy, but also being able to pay the bills. And I get to do other things like I have the um, surrogacy podcast, which allows me to share stories. I found the power of storytelling, not just for the surrogacy community, but for me, listening to stories and sharing stories about surrogacy has been almost like its own therapy process has been pretty amazing. And it's been, I guess, really rewarding being able to provide those resources for the surrogacy community because I get lots of positive feedback from people that have listened to the podcast or they've read the blog um, and that it's helped them in some way to um, progress their own surrogacy arrangement or clarified how they felt in their surrogacy experience. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. And you say that obviously you set out to design your life in this way. And I'm sure you did, but I think a lot of people who start a business, be it a law firm or any other business, also set out to design their life in that kind of way, but they don't necessarily get there. You know, when other things come their way, whether it's management problems or they find themselves working longer hours than perhaps they were when they were employed and all those kinds of challenges that come when you start a business. Not all of the people actually achieve the utopia of having my own business and having this ikigai. What are some of the things that you've done that you think made that happen or helped to make that happen? Um, I think there's probably two things that kind of tie in together. I've learned to kind of back myself because, you know, I came from Legal Aid. They don't teach you how to run your own law firm at Legal Aid. So I went in pretty cold and was learning from other people like Laura Vickers, who runs Nest Legal, and people that were doing innovative things in the legal profession and going, okay, well, I'll take a bit from what Laura's doing. I'll take a bit from what somebody else is doing. I'll take a bit from what Clarissa Raywood is doing and I'll work out what bits work for me and the bits that don't work for me, I'll, I'll stop. So I'm sure in the first two years, I tried all sorts of things. I think I, I signed up for Leap Software pretty quickly. And, you know, two years later, decided that that wasn't right for me anymore. And it's okay to go, that wasn't a wrong decision. It was the right decision at the right time. But it's also okay to continuously reevaluate and review what you're doing and see whether things still work. Um, 
And I think, so some of it was backing myself to go, you know what, I make my rules. If I don't like the way something's working, I don't have to keep doing it. And that means I can say no to a particular client because they're not a right match for me. Um, but I can also find my niche and work the hours I want and all of that sort of thing. And that's really empowering, um, isn't it? Because often, yeah. again, when people start a firm, it can be quite hard to let go of those preconceived expectations of what your business should look like or to even let go of the traditional ways of practicing law that you've done forever and ever because it can be quite scary to start fresh. Yes and I think um, yeah I think that it is scary and I think that there are people that will tell you that you can't do certain things. Um, certainly you know you can't do fixed fee family law, you can't um, do it from home, you have to have a, an, an external office space, all of that sort of stuff. I was like, well, actually, I don't want to. This is how I want to do it. And as long as I'm within the rules, I can actually do as I please. Um, you know, I had somebody say, you can't do family law from home because you have to give out your address to clients. And I was like, well, I've got ways of dealing with the safety issues, but actually you don't get to tell me how to run my practice any more than I get to tell somebody else how to run the practice. And I think the other thing I found was in terms of guy was listening to other lawyers that were kind of constantly wanting to upscale and get bigger. Like as soon as they reached a certain success point, they would put on more staff. And that was perhaps for them the definition of success was having more and more staff. And I thought, wow, it looks really amazing. But also that's not what I want. I don't want to be a manager again. <laughs> I don't want to manage. I mean, it doesn't mean it won't happen. One day I might employ staff. But right now what works for me and my, my practice and my family is just me. No staff. Um, at some point I you know, might find that I do need more support, but I'm actually really happy just doing my own thing. There's also something very empowering about if there's something on the website or some piece of advice that I've given that's wrong, there's only one person that's responsible for it and that's me. And it, so far it's worked. Nobody's told me I'm wrong yet. <laughs> so I just keep doing that. And, you know, I have thought in the last year about a lot about expanding and getting bigger and that's exciting but also I don't have to if I don't want to mm. and that's fine yeah I love that advice I think that's really really spot on it's about knowing what what does success mean to you or what do you want your life to look like not what some other expectations might be or not getting caught up in what everybody else thinks success is or the thing at the moment always seems to that I always notice is scale like you said it's like this message we're bombarded with about how you need to scale your business scale your business but I'm similar to you that's not what I want either I'm quite happy in my little bubble with my little family and my little business and that's right but it's different for everyone and that's the point it's about being able to understand what is it that you want in your life and then build the business around that now you describe your firm as a new law firm what does that mean to you I think it's new law in that perhaps it, most of the time it just means I dismiss what the old firms do. <laughs> I've watched, for example, how some of the older firms or the bigger firms have responded to COVID and the lockdowns and without naming anyone, but I think there's a few that are just sort of stuck in their own ways. They don't understand remote practice. They don't understand things like going paperless or any sort of innovation. And I think, but why? I mean, at some point you kind of start thinking they're just like dinosaurs. So for me, it's been kind of perhaps trying something and not being wedded to it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, I get rid of it. So the idea of being paperless, for example, sounds really basic. It's probably number one rule of new law is try being paperless. Consciously thinking about why you're printing things and how you're going to store it, but also 
why are you using that paper? I want to be really environmentally conscious. So, and realizing that actually you just need to put your resources into good security software and everything else rather than into what the paper. The only people that use paper in my house are my kids now. <laughs> so I, I, I don't remember the last time I printed anything that wasn't somebody's homework. But yeah, it is about going, you know, that product or that software or that new innovation looks interesting. I might try it. If it doesn't work, I'll try something new and not being wedded to it just because that's how an old firm did it for 50 years. Some of the stories I've heard about some of the bigger, older firms is that they're so wedded into their tier structures and, you know, partnerships and billable hours and that that some of the practitioners don't seem all that happy. And I think, would I want to get to the end of my career and go, well, that was horrendous. I just worked 100 hours a week, got paid, but not actually lived my life. That's not what I want. I want to be able to live it while I've got my kids that are young. And again, that will change when they're teenagers and when they move on and all of that sort of thing. My practice will change according to what my needs are. But yeah, try it. If it doesn't work, try something else. That's pretty much my philosophy. Sounds like a good one. Have you got your hands on my new ebook? It's filled with 80 short, sharp, and practical tips to help you firm your foundations, sort your strategy, and optimize your operations so that you can modernize your law firm. Get your copy at lucydickens.com.au forward slash ebook. As well as the paperless idea and the kind of the technology aspect of new law, you mentioned to me before we hit record that when you were focusing in on this niche in surrogacy law, you recognised a lot of things that you saw as being, I guess, wrong with or problematic or could have been done better with the traditional way that surrogacy law was handled. What are some of those things that you saw and what have you chosen, how have you chosen to do them differently? I think a lot of what I've seen, unfortunately, has been based on commercial surrogacy overseas. And there's a a time and place for that, but Australia is not it. We've got altruistic surrogacy and really understanding why a woman would want to carry a baby for somebody for no payment. And if you put yourself in her position, and I am in that position, thinking about, well, what does she need out of the surrogacy legal process? What do the intended parents need? A lot of it is about just providing a framework for the arrangement so that they can proceed through the the legal framework, but also get to the end and get the parentage order. So what I was seeing was a lot of cut and paste. I still see this a bit, cut and paste from a commercial surrogacy agreement and put it into an Australian surrogacy agreement. And my response to that was that that's actually really offensive. And then I was having to deal with clients who were actually in tears reading these agreements and going, why are they putting these things in the agreement? It makes me feel like I'm not valued as a person. And as an example, we've got cut and paste surrogacy agreements from America that say the surrogate will not have hazardous sex. I don't even know what that is. Nobody really knows. Um, That she won't drink alcohol during pregnancy. She won't drink coffee during pregnancy. And she won't use hairspray and all these sorts of things. Now, if you put that in a surrogacy agreement for a woman that's not being paid to be a surrogate, what you're actually saying is we don't trust you. And we We need to write down these things Mm. for you so that we know that you're going to do the right thing. What you're really saying is that we don't trust you, so we're going to tell you what to do. And what she's hearing is, if you don't trust me, then I shouldn't be carrying your baby. So I guess I'm, I've um, approached it from the perspective of going, well, rather than copying and pasting it from a commercial agreement, let's think about what the agreement is meant to be for, there for. And recognising that my job as a lawyer is actually secondary to the job of the counsellors. 
and also recognising that well beyond the legal process, we've got people that should still have a relationship together. And I did see quite a few arrangements that were falling apart because the relationship wasn't strong, but the legal agreement was strong. And I thought, what's the, the, what's the point? I mean, if you're going to sign something that is not binding and is not in the child's best interests and is not respecting the woman that's doing this for free then they're going to come out of it with a good, robust legal framework, but no relationship. And that's not what it's meant to be about. So I guess refocusing and thinking about the connection between the team, between the parties, the humanity of what's happening, and recognising that the legal process is just that. It's just part of it. It's a necessary part of it. But the fundamental focus should be on the relationship between them and for the children's interest for the relationship with the child and really putting that then into how we structure the legal agreement and how we give legal advice. That's probably a lot of information for people that are not surrogacy lawyers, but I think that's how I've sort of reflected on how it was being done and gone, it doesn't actually fit. These are not contracts. They're not business transactions. These are human beings and putting that into the legal agreement. Yeah, But I can see the crossover and the relationships to other areas of law. I mean, if we talk about business law or commercial law, often lawyers are talking about the fact that legal agreements are so focused on the law and they ignore the commerciality of the arrangement. Or if we look at like wills or deceased estates, it's a similar kind of thing. Often we're so focused on what the law says that we forget that we're dealing with humans and with family relationships and with real life people. And you're saying, or I think you're saying that you're putting that first, you're putting that human bit first, and then the law is going to supplement and support that as opposed to kind of impose. That's right. And I think also I've come to it, I guess, after a lot of thinking about what's my main focus. My focus in surrogacy practice is focusing on the best interest of the child always. And these children don't exist at the time that I'm talking to parties and that they're thinking about making a baby. So you have to kind of put them front and centre, these hypothetical children. How do we make sure that their interests are protected? We also need to focus on the bodily autonomy of the surrogate because we don't want her to lose any autonomy when she decides to carry a baby for somebody, regardless of the genetics of the baby. And also wanting everyone to make empowered, informed decisions that leads to a positive relationship. This isn't a business transaction. And you could take away the legal framework and you still want, for everyone's sake, but particularly for the children, you still want them to love and care for each other well beyond the birth because the legal process will end. The relationship shouldn't be ending. It should be lifelong. So if I have that, I guess, as the sort of guiding principles of what I do, then that has led to good things in terms of educating the community and putting those kids front and centre and empowering people to go, I want a good, positive surrogacy relationship with everyone. How am I going to get there? It looks like it's not about the legal process. It's about the relationship. Mm. Yeah. You just mentioned education. And earlier on in this conversation, you spoke about your podcast and your blog. And obviously, you've just published your book. And those are not the traditional practice of law. In fact, they're not practice of law, are they? Writing blog posts and podcasting, but they are now an important part of your business. Yes. And probably I would say they take up about half of, in terms of the time that I put into the business, it's the podcast and the blogging and the the other sort of creative stuff that gives me the most enjoyment. I really love, like the podcast allows me to share stories and hear people's stories. It's amazing. The blogging allows me to communicate my own message, my own thoughts about surrogacy. The legal advice is also amazing. I love doing it. It's not like the sort of nasty divorce law stuff, but 
it's kind of just, I guess like five years ago when I was thinking about setting up a practice, I thought the main focus would be on legal advice. Yeah. Now it's only about half of yeah. what I do and it's everything else that brings me a lot of joy in how I practice. Yeah. So those things bring you joy, but I'm guessing they also feed work into the business. Or- yeah. And I guess, you know, I heard a few phrases a few years ago that I didn't really think meant much at the time. It didn't mean anything to me, but things like content is king. Now I can hear it again in my head and go, of course it's king. If I do a blog post, I've probably got 150 blog posts. When people Google, they will find a blog post and they'll come to my website and then they might engage me as their lawyer. Yeah, content is king. Podcast is another form of content. I think it's interesting though because if you do it for the purpose of getting clients and do it as like a sales pitch, it doesn't work. People are actually smarter than that. I share the podcast because I get a lot of joy out of it. It happens to also help people who then might come to me when they're seeking a lawyer. That's how it's meant to work. It's not because I did a sales pitch in my podcast. And the same with the blog. It's not about the podcast. It's about communicating a message. Connecting with people really is probably the main thing. And my philosophy in terms of how I practice is that I will always be authentic and I'll always be kind And if you focus on sales pitching yourself, it doesn't actually work. People, like I said, people see through it. What they want to do is find somebody that they connect with. And that's what I hope to do. Which is why it helps so much that you've found a way to make money from what is your passion. Yeah. So that will come effortlessly to you, the writing and the podcasting and all of those things. It's almost like a hobby, I guess, because you enjoy it so much. Yes. <laughs> Don't tell my husband because he is like, you're always working. And I'm like, yes, but I love yeah. it. <laughs> it's not a, and it, because it doesn't feel like work. What do they say? You find something yeah. you love and you'll never feel like you're at work. I think, yes, when I open up the laptop, the kids will say, what are you doing today, mum? And I say, I'm doing work. And I think they see it as, oh, boring work. And I think, no, no, I'm actually editing a podcast today. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah. I'm engaging with people. I'm connecting with people. I guess it qualifies as work, but it doesn't feel like it. I know what you mean. I'm the same. I could keep working and working all day and all night and sometimes wish I could and think, do I have to go play with my kids, which sounds horrible. <laughs> it's not always <laughs> like that. But it's when you really enjoy sometimes. something. It's, you just want to yes. give it all your energy, don't yeah. you? Yeah. And look, I'd, I have also felt guilty for thinking sometimes it's more fun working on my business than hanging out with my kids. But it is a huge creative outlet now. It's not just about doing legal advice. It's everything else. And I get a lot of joy out of it. I'm sure I do like 100 hours a week, but it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's amazing. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to do law differently? Honestly, I think it's a bit like turning it up a, a up at a buffet. You try a few different things. If they don't work, try something else. Never be afraid of looking at what other people are doing and seeing what works for you. Don't find yourself stuck in sort of old ways. I have, you know, I've taken advice on doing fixed fees or um, billable hours. I've tried both. I've worked out what works for me. And when I talk to other lawyers, they go, oh, you have to do billable hours for family law. And I think, well, actually, that didn't work for me. I'm going to do something differently. And that's fine because we're all very different. I'd hate for another lawyer to focus on how I did things and then um, repeat it because it wouldn't work any more than me focusing on others would um, lead me to the same outcome. So, yeah, I'd say just try things out, see what works, and then give it up if it doesn't work and try something new. Yeah. Sounds like good advice. Where can we find your book? 
so probably everything is easiest found on the website, which is sarahjefford.com. They can also find me on Instagram. I tell you what, a few years ago, I thought, oh, Instagram, social media, I really hate it. But now I kind of enjoy it. So I think it's Sarah underscore surrogacy lawyer on Instagram, but just Google me on there. Yeah. Google Australia's best surrogacy lawyer and you'll you'll come up number (laughs) one, right? That's the easiest way to find you. (laughs) (laughs) I'll include all the links in the show notes as well. Yes. But yes, so find me there. I'd also say, I guess, on the social media thing, I still find days that I really hate it. I think I hate putting something up and then focusing on the likes and the comments. That That's not me. It doesn't feel authentic. But I like connecting with people on social media. That's pretty amazing. So yeah, come find me. Um, I like following other cool accounts. So I'm happy to you know hang out on Instagram and Facebook too. Sounds good. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Doing Law Differently. If you enjoyed the episode, I'd love you to share it with someone else who you think will love it too. You can find all our past episodes at doinglawdifferently.com.au.